Um, I will be reading from Luke 6, 17 through 19. Um, he went down with them and stood on a, le- on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people all over Judea, Judea from J- Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre, Tyre um, and Sidon, Sidon, um, who had come to there or to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Uh, those troubled by evil spirits um, were cured, and the people and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from the healing and healing them all. Thank you, Michael. Luke chapter 6 is where we'll be at. You can go ahead and turn there to Luke chapter 6. There is, let me get, you guys want to know a secret? Here's a secret. You ready? Ready, Denny? Here it is. All right. Something I've noticed, and I don't know what it is about the acoustics of this particular building and that sort of thing, but... I know it's uh, my favorite place to sit is in the back sometimes because I get to see people coming and going and that sort of thing. But the further you move to the front in this building, the more you hear the voices and the acoustic when people sing, and it's powerful. And it's just phenomenal the difference uh, from the front to the back. So just uh, just something just, just a note. If that's something that uh, think man, I just I just want to hear the. The strength of God's vo- the God's people as they're singing today. Then move towards the front. It makes a huge difference. Okay, so there you are. Beth knows it. That's why Beth sits here. See, this is why she's been here. Exactly. That she knows what's up. That's exactly right. All right, Luke chapter six. We're going to g- continue where we left off last week. But how many of you grew up having a desire to be successful in life, some sort of success in some form or fashion? Maybe your definition of success has changed over time and, and probably has, but sometimes parents have a, have a way of instilling a, a system or, or a vision of what success is, and maybe it changes as we get older. But I know as, as, a, uh, as a kid, my, uh, um, my definition of success has changed some, and maybe yours has changed a lot depending on the context that you grew up in. But I know that uh, what... Or, or what success looks like, or how that's applied, I guess. I know for myself, um, as I've told you, my, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. That was my thing. You know, I think it would have been t- tremendously uncomfortable in that cockpit, knowing, knowing how, how tall I got. But um, there's, there was, there was that desire. That was what success looked like for me as a little guy. I wanted, I wanted to, to fly in the clouds and fly fast, and and I that just was was greatly appealing to me. And um, I, I fly in the clouds and fly fast occasionally now, but it's very boring and it's just in one direction whenever I'm on an airliner. That's, that's it. That's all I get. But there is a, you know what I mean? Is there's that success, that definition. And I know as a parent, I want my kids, and I work to train my kids to have success in life, to do well, to be well-adjusted adults someday so they can, I, Sylvia and I get them for a little while and then God has called us to launch them out to be soldiers in his kingdom. And so that's just, we get this, this time to instill and, and try to help them understand what that means. And so we're going to talk about, Jesus talks about some of his definition of success here. And it's different 
than what the people of Jesus' day and different from what us. Even as Christians, I wrestle with this definition of the values of the kingdom of God. So we're going to start, uh, and what we're going to get to is, is called the lesson on the plane or the sermon on the plane. And we'll, we'll talk about what that is here in just a minute. But we're going to go back and start in verse 12. And, um, and we're going to look through where Jesus appoints his 12 apostles. And something I want you to notice here. Remember a while back we talked about a day in the life of Jesus. Jesus spent time teaching, he spent time healing people, and he withdrew to lonely places to pray to be filled up with God so that he could go out and do it again. And you see these three elements here again. You, you see this? We see a pattern here in Luke. Is this in, when Jesus, parts of his ministry could be, could be reduced to teaching, healing, and withdrawing to lonely places. You see this, this cycle go over and over again. So for us, it's important to have these aspects in our life. We teach, we heal differently than Jesus did maybe. But our job as Christians is to be people who are teaching those around us, to be people that are bringing healing to those around us and, and making sure that we're finding those lonely times with God so that we can continue to be fresh and, and be a blessing for other people. All right, look at verse, um, verse 12 here. It says, One of those days Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And the word apostle means those who are sent out. And you see they're going to be sent out here after a while. Simon, whose name, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, some of these we've been introduced to before. Remember, Peter was in the boat with Jesus, and the big miraculous catch of fish came in, and Peter said, all right, get away from me. I'm a sinful person. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to get away from you, but I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. You're going to fish for men's souls after this. Come and follow me. And Peter leaves everything and follows him at that point in time. And you see something similar with, with Matthew, who's called Levi earlier. He is a tax collector, and Jesus approaches him and says, Come, follow me. And Matthew, whatever interaction he had with Jesus up to this point in time, he leaves everything, and he goes, and he follows Jesus. And so we have this crew of people that have already made a big sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. We have, there's a guy there that's named Simon the Zealot. Okay, Zealot, there was a, there was a group of them organized later, but he, he very well could have been one who had these tendencies. The Zealots became a people who, among the, the Jews, who believed that if they could just start a war with Rome, then God would bring deliverance. And, and they did. They finally got their wish a number of years after Jesus went back to heaven. And the Rome came in, and it didn't end up the way the Zealots wanted. Rome came in and flattened Jerusalem. But that's what they wanted. They wanted war with Rome. And so you picture this. You have these disciples that are here. Maybe not what people would have expected if, if they were part of the, the Jewish establishment and said, who are the people that are going to change the world for God's kingdom? You probably wouldn't pick fishermen from Galilee. You probably wouldn't pick a zealot. They're too extreme. And you wouldn't pick a tax collector because they're too extreme the other way. Those are the traitors. And so within this group that follows Jesus around that he's going to send out, we have some very non-traditional picks as far as the religious establishment would have been concerned. Why do you pick those guys? What, the, isn't there safer people that we can, we can pick that are gonna, not going to do the types of things that, that these guys have done at least? Can't we overcome some of this baggage? And I think what we see here 
is it's oftentimes the people that are on the margins are the first ones to be responsive to the kingdom of God. When we're comfortable, when things are great, when things are, are just going along smoothly, we have a tendency to just sit right where we are and not make the big life changes that these guys have already made. And Jesus, as he continues on from here, uh, the section that Michael read here just a second ago, verses 17 through 19, what happens, it says that Jesus goes down on a level place. And he starts teaching and he starts healing. And there's this great excitement. You can just sense it when you read through that of all the things that are happening. And this, remember what Jesus talked about, is why on earth my disciples fast right now? There's going to be a time that they fast. But right now, this is the good stuff. This is the good, these are the good times right here. Look at what's happening. And people are coming from all over the place in order to be healed and to hear the message of Jesus. And so when he sits, he takes the people on the plane there and he shares what he's going to share next. Now, I'm going to take a time out here for just a second. Okay, Sermon on the Mount. Who knows where the Sermon on the Mount is? Matthew 5 through 7, right. We know the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And what you're going to notice here in the next chapters, if you look at Luke, you can page through or scroll through on your, your device, what you see is Jesus shares many of the same teachings he does in the Sermon on the Mount. But instead of being on a mountain, he's on a plane. It's, it was common for teachers of this day to understand that Jesus didn't just have a sermon that he would present, and then he'd present something totally different. Oftentimes he would present something one day, go to a different place, present the same thing, and present the same thing. And he had this, this, these common teachings that people would hear over and over as if they traveled around with him, because everybody there was always new people that were there that needed to hear this basic stuff. And so what you hear in the Sermon on the Mount and what you hear in Matthew, or in Luke, the Sermon on the Plain, they're very similar, but there's some angles that Jesus takes that are different, that would have been different depending on what day he was teaching and what audience he was speaking to. But what you see is these are very foundational teachings to what the kingdom of God, or what God's people are supposed to be like. And so we're going to start, and we're going to go through what they're called in Matthew as the Beatitudes, and they're somewhat different in Luke, at least they, Luke takes a different angle and I'll start reading in verse 20. Not different than the contradictory. They just There's a different emphasis here. We'll start in verse 20. He says, Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Okay, here, Jesus does something that is, and I'm going to admit, confession time with Chris. Here we are, right here, okay? This is terribly uncomfortable, what Jesus does here. Because what Jesus does is he says, okay, if you are poor, if you're hungry right now, if you're weeping... And if people mistreat you because of me, then you are blessed. There is my definition of what success is. There are the values that I care about are those things right there. And I don't know about you, but I have never told my children, Luke, Sarah, when you grow up, what I want for you, I want for you to struggle financially, to never have enough food on the table, to cry, and to be mistreated. That's my, that's my values. That's my definition of success for you. Does that make you uncomfortable a little bit? It does for me. I wrestle with this. What is Jesus doing here? What is he sharing here? And he's sharing that, and we'll get to this. We'll come full circle. 
But if you're poor now, then this kingdom of God that I'm bringing is yours. If you're hungry now, then satisfaction is coming. If you're weeping now, then what's going to happen is you're going to laugh here at some point. When people mistreat you, because you're following me, understand you're receiving the same thing that prophets did. And you look back in the Old Testament, you see that over and over again. As people, God sent people to speak his words, and oftentimes they were not appreciated and they were abused and mistreated because they told the truth. And so here's we have, here we have Jesus laying out all of these, his disciples are around him, and he starts teaching him. And he lays out this definition of what the values in his kingdom are like. Okay, so if you're hearing this, is there part of you that makes things, hmm, if poverty, hunger, crying, and mistreatment are great values in this kingdom, maybe I need to find a different kingdom to be a part of. This, I realize that this is going to be difficult. I realize this is going to be hard. This is going to pull me outside of my comfort zone, and I'm not sure what I want to do with this. If that's where your heart, if that's what you're feeling, then I get it. I understand that. And Jesus is sharing something. We're going to come full circle. Again, I'll explain more of this here in just a bit. But he continues on, and I'm going to read from verses 24 through 26. He says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for this is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. All right, so shame on you, or here comes destruction. These things are dangerous. If you're rich now, then that's your reward. That's what you get. If you're well fed now, then there's going to be a time where you're going to go hungry. If you laugh now, uh, then there's going to be a time where, where you weep. The good times are right now. When everyone speaks well of you, then understand that that's how our ancestors taught the false prophets. And you can look through that and you can see in the Old Testament, there's times where there were prophets that would come along and say whatever a king wanted them to say. And boy, they were loved and they were in the court of the king and boy, everything, life was good for them. And so when I back up a little bit and I look at this list, when I, I look at these values here, wealth, having plenty of food on the table, having a good time now, and being popular, does that sound like that's a little bit easier kingdom to be a part of? I think so. I look at that and I think, ooh, that kingdom, ooh, that's, that's kind of appealing there. I get that. I can see how, ooh, that sounds good to me. Um, whew. Boy, what type of kingdom does this look like? So Jesus makes, as he's showing here, is that there's a decision. And he's talking to his disciples here. This is what my kingdom is like. Is you got a choice whether you're going to indulge yourself now or you're going to the future. Are you going to choose what is physical and, and what you can touch right now? Or are you going to invest in a kingdom that is going to be beyond your wildest dreams, but you're not going to get all the blessings of it right now? That's your choice if you're going to be part of my kingdom. Now let's think about this. Poor versus rich. There is, um, um, it's amazing, I saw here a while back, that um, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, Tom Rainer's got a book. Uh, he's, a, he's a researcher, he does a lot of church growth material. And he, 
this book was called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. And what he did is did this massive research project on what do people who are not a part of a church, who do not consider themselves Christians, really think about people who, who call themselves Christians? What's really there? And one of the things that was interesting that came out of it was that there's our society is not near as hostile towards Christianity as the social as media would have us believe. Okay, the average person out there is not near hostile towards Christianity as as what we see on TV and that. Most people are much more open and and willing to talk about spiritual things than than we would than most of us understand that to be. And also, one of the other things that came up is that when families start to as they increase in in annual take-home pay, they get past a threshold. There was a distinct difference of how people responded to the message of, of Jesus. And what happened is, is once people got up north of six figures somewhere there, this was a number of years ago, so I'm not sure what it would be at now, but what his researchers found is that consistently people would just reject and say, I'm not interested in talking about that, not going down that road, or, or would just you could see that there was just not much interest. And part of that is working so hard that there's no time to think about spiritual things or just being so comfortable that with what I've got and where I'm at that here I am. And this is a, why do I need God? Why do I need anything else? And so from Jesus' perspective, as he is teaching people, he says, which is better right now in this life? To pursue wealth that's probably going to separate you from God or to pursue God's kingdom, which might leave you in a tough spot financially. But doing so is going to pay huge, huge dividends later on. That's his message there. Rich versus poor. What are we going to choose? Right now, we're going to choose the blessings that come later. He says, hungry versus well-fed. You think about what happens here in the next while. As some of these people, have, they've left their homes, they've left whatever in order to follow Jesus. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, there's all sorts of people become Christians. There's people start selling their houses, selling properties, selling all sorts of things in order to continue to get God's message out there so that it can be shared with the people around. There's big choices that are made there. And, uh, and the response of people is, we've got to decide that we're going to invest in things that are here for eternity, not just what makes us happy at this any given moment. Hungry or well-fed? Are we going to... Um, um, invest in, in things that, are we going to cry, or let me say it this way, what burdens us? What is, what is something that, that really concerns us? Do we just laugh off everything that comes, or are we going to really have a deep concern for the things that are very important right now, knowing that doing so is going to prepare eternal life for me someday? Or am I willing to decide to follow Jesus at the expense of being popular with my friends? That's really what he's, he's saying right here, is how your self-image and your own popularity, what is most important? Having everybody around you saying, oh, this is great, this is great, this person's life of a party, or saying, or living in such a way that you realize that some of your friends are going to push you away because you choose to live, live different than everybody else around you. And that's really what Jesus is, is laying out here for all of us, is we have a choice the blessings are disaster. And it's easy for us to look at the things right in front of us and say, wow, I'm going to pursue finances. I'm going to give what my appetite whatever it wants right now. I'm going to not care about stuff that, that, that's out there. I'm just going to laugh, have a great time, and have a party. And I'm going to pursue 
a life that makes everybody around me like me. And Jesus says, if you pursue that, then you will have no place in my kingdom. Because you cannot live that way and expect to live in the kingdom that I'm bringing to this world. That makes me uncomfortable. Because we live in a nation that is, that is very wealthy. We, live in a, in, we have a tremendous amount of comfort that we can pursue. Um, but the question still remains for us. And I think a lot of people in Jesus' day must have heard this message and thought, hmm, the cost of this kingdom is too much. The cost of this kingdom is something that I'm not sure that I can, I'm willing to, to give. So that really leaves me wrestling all this week, and hopefully all of us, is what does this look like for me um, in terms of how do I pursue these areas of life and make sure that God is number one in all these areas? I'll start with security and finances. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 to start with. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, I'll start reading in verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, and there seems to be the key, is when we live in such a way that we want to get rich, we're continually concerned about our financial well-being. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap that in and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I read that and I think, oh man, this is quite convicting here. But I believe what Paul is trying to do with the Holy Spirit is trying to instruct Timothy here to instruct others. And we'll read the second part of this here in just a second. He said, don't get caught up in trying to pursue making money all the time. There's much, much bigger decisions that you can make and better decisions you can make. I have a very, very dear friend that I can tell you his name. I'm not going to. But he does extremely, extremely well financially. And, and from the outside, things look great. But I can tell you when I sit down with him nose to nose, and we get past all the small talk. What happens and what comes out is he can tell you that things are rough in marriage. Things are rough with his family. And it's because he chose to pursue money. That's it. And maybe all of you have, have stories of people that you can tell that as well. And the heartache that comes from that in saying, I'm going to pursue the things that matter right now instead of pursuing things that invest for eternity. Look at, let's skip over to verse 17 as he continues on here. Here's the solution. Command those who are rich in this, this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so what, what Paul is telling Timothy here is tell him, step out in faith, give to things that are going to matter for eternity because that's where true security is. Security doesn't come from, from having a great stock portfolio. It comes from ultimately pursuing Christ and investing in things that are going to matter for eternity. Now, I will tell you, understand Take a time out here for a second, because there's a balance in here somewhere. You read the Proverbs, Proverbs talk about how important it is to save and to, to, to be frugal and to, to not, not borrow excessively, all, all of those types of things. Those are all very, very good Christian principles, okay? very, very important. 
And I, I'm a firm believer in that. I have read uh, two authors that I've, I've read extensively, Steve Diggs. I've read Dave Ramsey's stuff that talk a lot about Christian money management and finances. But something, especially Dave Ramsey's stuff, I think we need to be aware of. Sometimes some of that material, I read it, and at least how I interpret it, at least how it hits my heart, because I, 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 what I start thinking about and what I start focusing on, I believe sometimes that material is nothing more than Western materialism in a religious cloak. Okay? We can miss out on so much when we d- decide, well, I want to pursue wealth, and I'm going to pursue wealth, but I'm just going to do it with a Christian focus. Jesus says here, all oh, that's dangerous. Okay? Be very, very aware that this is dangerous, this can be destructive, and it, and, and it can, can distract us from the, things that are, the spiritual things that are most important in life. I imagine with Jesus, as he's sharing with all these people, that's, that's rough because there's people that were there that had heard from childhood, everything is about building up my own personal security in this life, and Jesus is not even close. Invest in the next life because that's when the great stuff comes. What about our personal appetites? You think about, about that. Whenever I follow whatever makes me happy at any moment, whether it be hunger, whatever it be, anything else, that builds a comfort in me that I miss out on um, denying myself and giving my best to God. Think about the cares and burdens of this life. When, when you have moments to do whatever you want or think about whatever you want, what are the things that burden you? Is it, uh, are things, uh, the things that burden you and the things that you care about and concern yourself with, are they things that, um, like, uh, man, I wonder if I can, uh, what my next bicycle is going to look like, okay? If that's all I concern myself with, then I am terribly out of balance and I'm not concerning myself with, a, with people around me that don't know God, with uh, my relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You see what I'm, what I'm getting at here? You see what happens? Is there's, there can be very, very good things in life that God gives us, but when they get out of balance, they lead us in a direction that take us in places that, that distract us and, and uh, take us far from God. What about our self-image and our relationships? Let's read, uh, I want to read one more passage in 1 Peter. Go ahead and turn there. Now, 1 Peter is written to people who are in the middle, midst of persecution. And I think what, the way Peter says it here is really helpful for me. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'll start reading verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Okay, so in other words, don't try to pull this victim card if you do, if you do bad things and, and get punished for it. Okay, don't pull the Christ victim card here. No, only suffer when... Uh, that type of suffering from others should only come when we bear the name of Christ and do so honorably. Verse 17, For if it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, we continue to do good, continue to show that fruit of the Spirit, continue to 
share the message of Jesus, no matter what happens, understanding that someday, somehow, God is going to bring it all, all, into, um, all into rights. And so when I look at this, I think about the questions I ask myself. How are, is security and finances so important to me that I spend a massive amount of time on it in my life? Or my appetites, or my cares and burdens, and how do I view my own self-image and how other people view me? Do I determine and define who I am by what other people say around me, or by whether God is happy with me? I look at all those things, and I can't help but think that there's so many in our world are so invested in what's happening right now, what they can touch with their hands, and what they can pursue, they're going to miss out on so much. I was thinking about this this week. Um, is how many of you saw the sunrise this morning? It's pretty amazing. Yeah, amazing. Just imagine if um, if you lived or worked in a situation where you stayed inside all the time and there were no windows whatsoever. You could never see outside. You could never open a window. You could never smell the breeze coming through the anything like that. And all you ever saw was this little cubicle with a beautiful picture of the bridgers on the wall there. And that's what you knew. That's what you saw. That's the only thing that you ever, ever were familiar with. And just imagine going through life and just looking at that, thinking, oh, I've got it so good, I can see this here. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? That's wonderful. Do your thing, and then you look back at that picture and you think, oh, how wonderful. I think that's how our world lives ultimately because we know that every good and perfect thing is from above. All the, the riches that we do have, the, the, man, there's, there's good food that we have, isn't it? That you eat it and you just think, wow, that's phenomenal. This is amazing. This, I know that my phrase is that when I eat bacon, bacon might not be good for the body, but it's good for the soul. Something happens, you know, you eat bacon that I just feel this. Yes, this is awesome. Love it. Our appetites, our cares of burdens, we can you know, care about things. God's given us that ability to care about things that really matter. Self-image, um, you know, all of that is not bad, but it can get out of balance. But I feel like we look around us, there's people in our world that are looking, that are sitting in this little cubicle and looking at this beautiful picture saying, look how good I have it, look how wonderful it is, look how amazing it is, and do not realize that if they opened the door and walked outside, they could see the real thing and smell, feel the breeze, can feel, smell the flowers and get out. And you ever feel that? You take a picture and you think, well, this picture wasn't near as good as what I saw when I was out there. You know you know what I mean? And I feel that's how people in our world live. And we as Christians get sucked into it as we look at this little beautiful picture that's in this cubicle and think, wow, look at how good things are. Look at how wonderful it is. And what it takes for us is having faith to say, I will step out and I will not put my efforts into things that are going to burn up and blow away anyway. I'm going to put my efforts into things that matter for eternity. I'm going to, to put values, God's values, of loving Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself. I'm going to put those as primary in my life and everything else is going to follow under those and I'm going to pursue life. And what we're doing, in essence, when we decide that, is we're looking at that picture in the cubicle and saying, this is not enough. God has something much more for me. And we open the door and we walk outside and we're able to see all of it. Now, as we walk by faith, we don't always see all of it in this life. But I believe that's what Jesus is getting across for us, is just trust me. Trust me. Peter, Levi, just trust me. Okay, I know you're giving up your fishing boat. I know you're giving up your lucrative tax collecting job. I know you're giving up all that. But just trust me. 
Because what I'm going to give you is greater than anything you can ever imagine. And that's the big question for all of us. And that's hopefully something that I want to think about every day and hopefully all of us think about every day, is that whatever we have to give up in this life, wherever we have to step out in faith, however we have to do that, it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Because when we come into God's kingdom, the blessings are beyond our imagination. Amen? You guys on board with that? Okay, hopefully this morning what it is is a good reminder not to get caught up in the details and the distractions that are coming our direction continually. But remember, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors ourselves, and we live every day according to those values. And when we do so, there's things we have to sacrifice. There's things we leave behind, but it is worth every bit of it. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, the elders are in the back. They'd be glad to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.